Let's open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. going to continue our studies in the life of Abraham, and this afternoon we will read only four verses in chapter 12, Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you this afternoon as we come into your presence. We praise you for the beautiful songs that you give us. You fill our mouth with songs of rejoicing and thanksgiving for all that you have done for us. Truly, Father, We will spend eternity singing of your mercies and your faithfulness, and it will not be enough for saving us and giving us your precious son to die on the cross. We bow before you in reverence this morning. We look forward to hear your voice. We ask that you will take away our distractions, and we ask that your Holy Spirit will speak to every every heart and every mind that is here before you this morning. You know our needs. You know how thirsty we are. You know how hungry we are. Food of this world and water of this world cannot satisfy us. We need the food of heaven. We need the manna of heaven. We need to be fed this morning. And no one can do so except for you, Father. So open your hand and satisfy our souls. If there are sinners among us this morning, bring them to repentance. And those who are weak, strengthen them, Lord. And those who are sick, may you touch them with your healing hand. Help us to be people who are in every way like our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the purpose of our life, is to resemble him. And that the, people, the world will look on us and see Christ in us and be attracted to him in us. So help us this morning as we, we behold your glory that we would change into that very image, the image of Christ. So we can go out there and bring the gospel and the good news to the world. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last time when we started the... Uh, study in Abraham's life. We traveled with him from Ur of the Chaldeans. We saw that Abraham was a man who was um, an idol worshiper. He was uh, living with his father, Terah, and his uh, nephew, Lot. 
and wife, Sarai, who was at that point barren. And he receives the call of God to leave Ur of the Chaldeans. And they leave. And they travel up north along the Euphrates River. And they settle in a town called Haran. They settle there for several years. Um, and then when his father dies, as verse 4 tells us here in chapter 12, Abram decides to continue his trip to where he intended to leave at the first place, which was the land of Canaan. Um, so the Holy Spirit is leading us through that, those travels and is going to be pick, picked up in verse 4 and we're going to continue throughout the rest of the book of Genesis studying the life of Abram and then Isaac and then Jacob. But in these verses, the Holy Spirit is almost as if takes a break and points us to that conversation, that moment in history when God revealed himself to Abraham. Abraham again is living in Ur of the Chaldeans and God appears to him. He'd never met God. We don't know if he had heard of God. By this point, humanity has deteriorated into complete idolatry. And the passage starts with the word now. Now the Lord. He's pointing us to the Lord. In the first verse in Genesis, it says, in the beginning, God. When God started the work of creation... The Holy Spirit pointed us to him and pointed us to the work of creation. But throughout those chapters, 1 through 11, we saw that after creation, the work of creation was completed and God rested on the seventh day. Man fell into sin and, and humanity fell into sin. But now, the Holy Spirit again is pointing us towards God. And he starts by saying, now the Lord... God is starting a new work. Remember when Christ said, I work and my father works. We are now going to be directed into a new work of God. This is a plan that was in the mind of God from eternity past. In the counsels of God from eternity. It pleased God to reveal and bring praises to the glory of his grace. And he wanted to unite everything in heaven and on earth in Christ Jesus. He wanted to bring a bride to his son. It started with the call of Abraham. And then the nation of Israel. And it culminated in the cross with the son dying for his bride and shedding his blood for her. And it continues today through the church as God is adding to the church those who would be saved. And it will end one day when God will 
dissolve this world and this earth. Peter says, everything will dissolve. And God will bring about a new heaven and a new earth. This is the work of redemption. The plan of redemption that God is embarked about. It starts in many ways. At least we start to realize it in scripture. God is on the move in these verses. Now the Lord. Until the end of 11, God, as one commentator said, was doing basically damage control for what sin brought about. Sin judgment. Sin, judgment. Cain is judged. The people in the days of Noah, judged. Babel, judgment. But now God is becoming, is taking an active and proactive action toward turning judgment into a blessing. Now the Lord Say to Abraham. He is calling this man. Abram. Out of all of the Chaldeans. For a purpose. To start what God wanted. To do. To bring about. Instead of judgment. He is going to bring. Blessing. Because God doesn't want sin to be the last state. He wants to bring blessing. To us. So God said to Abraham, this is what is known as the call of Abraham, right? And as we go through these verses, I'm just going to give you the breakdown of my thoughts. We're going to look a little bit about the call itself. Then we're going to ask, call from what? Call to what? And then finally, call for what? So three comments about the call. The first thing I want to point to you as God is calling Abraham is this, is that God is the one pursuing Abraham, not Abraham pursuing God. God is the one who is coming to this idol worshiper and appearing to him out of nowhere and speaking to him. He is seeking this man. We fool ourselves if we think that we came to God because we were looking for God. Speak to any believer and they can point to you to points in their lives way before they came to know the Lord. When now they can look back and say, that was the Holy Spirit doing this in my life. That circumstance, that sickness, that person I spoke to, that service I attended. That was the Holy Spirit drawing me. It is God who is pursuing you. And calling you unto him. God pursues us. Our Lord Jesus said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. This beautiful tender verse in Hosea 11.4. Listen to what it says. I lead them with cords of kindness. With the bands of love. I leave them. When, when you came to Christ, 
God was leading you with cords of kindness. And he was drawing you with bands of love. So God is pursuing. If you are here this morning, you are here because God is seeking you. God is pursuing you. God is looking for you. The second thing about the call of Abraham is that God revealed himself to Abraham with glory. Uh, when Stephen recounts the events of God's appearance to Abraham, he says the following, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham. The God of glory, when God appeared to Abraham, appeared to Abraham in glory, he revealed his glory to Abraham. When, God, when, when Abraham saw the glory of God, everything else in his life paled in comparison. That's important. Because he was about to make a big step in his life, a big decision. It was the glory of God that was revealed to him. When a person beholds the glory of God, everything else spills. And he can come to realize the truth of God. Right. Now, for us, Christ is the ultimate revelation of God's glory. He is the ultimate expression of the glory of God to mankind. In, in, in John chapter 2, verse 11, listen to this interesting verse. This is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana and Galilee. And manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. He did a miracle. The miracle manifested his glory. His glory led his disciples to believe in him. If we don't behold the glory of God, it's hard to realize the truth of God and come to believe in God. In John 1.14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son of God, full of grace and truth. And this is why when the devil works on us, what he wants to do is he wants to blind us to the revelation of the glory of God. In 2 Corinthians, Paul makes a comparison between believers and non-believers. Pay attention with me to these two verses and see the difference between the believers and the non-believers. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 and 6. He says, The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of God. That's what he wants to do. Blinding us to the glory of the gospel of God. On the other hand, for God who say that light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts, us believers, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You see the difference? The difference between the first group and the second group, one group cannot see the glory of God. They're blinded by the devil towards that. On the other hand, this group has been given the grace to have their eyes opened and to behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And they were drawn to him and came to believe in him. 
That is the difference. Abraham saw the God of glory and everything else paled in his eyes. The third thing about the call is that God called Abraham. God called Abraham. In Isaiah 60, uh, 51, 2, the Lord says to the Israelites, Look to Abraham your father and Sarah who bore you, for he was but one when I called him. He called him. From the moment man fell into sin, God started calling him back into repentance. Remember in Genesis 3? What did God do to Adam and Eve as soon as he came into the garden? He called them. Right? He called Adam. When Israel was enslaved in Egypt, it says in Hosea, from Egypt I called my son. When they continued to fall into sin year after year during the kingdom years, in Isaiah 66 it says, I also will choose harsh treatment for them and bring their fears upon them because when I called, no one answered. The ministry of our Lord when he came to this earth was a ministry of calling man unto himself. He called John and his brother when he was walking by the Sea of Galilee. Come and follow me. He called Peter and his brother to follow him. He called Matthew to follow him. He called Zacchaeus from the tree to come down to follow him. He told the people, Come to me, all ye who, who labor and are heavy, uh, heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. On the last day of the great feast, in, in John 7, 37, it says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. A ministry of calling man back to God. When God wanted to go to the Gentiles, he chose a man whom he called to go to the Gentiles. Paul says this about himself. He says, but when he who set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace. Paul was called to become an apostle for the Gentiles. God calls the predestined in Romans 8.30. Those whom he predestined, he also called. And today, God is still calling man unto himself. Now here's what's interesting. How is God today calling man unto himself? He is calling man unto himself through us. Believers in Christ. Isn't that amazing? We are the instrument that today God has chosen to send unto the world to proclaim the message of the gospel. Paul says this much in 2 Corinthians 5.20. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. Never underestimate, brothers and sisters, the call of the gospel. 
Never underestimate what the gospel spoken through simple people can do for the heart of man. Just like God spoke directly to Abraham and called him unto himself. And throughout the ages, today he is calling man unto himself through us. So let us go out to the world and proclaim the good news of the gospel. That's the call. Now the question is, what is God calling him from? In verse 1b, it says, he says, God says to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. God is calling him to leave his country and his kindred and his father's house. The question is, why? Why does God call him to leave Ur? What's wrong with Ur of the Chaldean? If he's going to bless him, why isn't he going to bless him in Ur? Why does he have to leave his country and, and leave? And I think the answer is simple. Because the relationship of Abraham with God had to be built on faith. Hebrews 11.6, it says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. When Hebrews speaks about Abraham leaving his country, it says, by faith, Abraham left. It had to be a relationship built and based solely on faith. We cannot have a relationship with God without faith. We are saved by grace through faith. That's how man builds a relationship with God. And so, Abraham had faith in God in four areas that I want to point to you. Four, four things he had to believe about God that we can kind of glean from these verses. The first thing that Abraham had to have faith in was he had to have faith in the trustworthiness of God. Right? Notice the promises that God is making to Abraham. They're virtually, from a human perspective, they're all impossible. Right? I will make you a great nation. Abraham cannot have children. I will make your name great. In that tribal uh, society, you cannot have a great name when you don't belong to somebody. Your name, your greatness is associated with your tribe and with your, the household of your father, right? Remember Gideon when the, the angel of the Lord came to Gideon in Judges and told him, Go, you mighty man, and liberate Israel. The first answer that came out of Gideon's mouth was, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. He didn't look at himself, he looked at his clan, because that's the, their identity was associated with their tribe. If my tribe is weak, I am weak. If my tribe is great, I am great. God is telling Abraham, I will make your name great, when he's asking him to leave his country and kindred. I will bless you. If we look at this from a financial or earthly uh, blessing, how is he going to be blessed when he's not going to receive his father's inheritance I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you in other words I will protect you but how again is he going to be protected when he is a sojourner and a foreigner in a foreign land 
in those tribal societies where they could, you know, they took complete advantage of somebody who is a foreigner. So everything God is telling him and is promising him from a human perspective does not make sense and is impossible. And so for Abraham to leave his country, he had to have faith in the trustworthiness of the promises of God. Remember Adam. Why did Adam fall into sin? Adam fell into sin the minute he lost his faith in the trustworthiness of the word of God. He believed the lie. You will not, God said you will die. No, you will not die. Adam believed that lie. He lost his trust in the word of God. Abraham had to trust in the promises of God. The second thing he had to have faith in was in the sovereignty of God. Abraham, as he came to know God, he came to recognize the sovereignty of God over his life. When, he, uh, when the king of Sodom came to give him uh, offerings, he says to him, I have lifted my hands to, the, to God, the possessor of heaven and earth. He believed that God, this God who appeared to him, is the possessor of of heaven and earth. When he was interceding on behalf of Sodom before Sodom was destroyed, he calls God the judge of all the earth. So Abraham came to believe that God is a sovereign God. He is the possessor of heaven and earth. Well, if he is the possessor and the sovereign and the king of this universe, it follows obedience. To this king right if you believe that he is sovereign over your life then obedience is the natural fruit of that leaving Ur in obedience to the command of God was a demonstration of of his faith in the sovereignty of God it is easy to claim the sovereignty of God over our lives but we prove it by obeying his commandments and his laws for us. I was just reading the other day in Titus. They confess God in their mouth. But in their works and in their deeds. They deny him. God is looking for an obedient servant. Who would believe that God deserves obedience. And then follows and obeys. And again pointing to Adam. That was the thing that. Adam did, and Eve did not want. Adam and Eve wanted autonomy from God, right? You will be like God. That idea appealed to them, being independent of God, being sovereign over their own lives instead of God being sovereign over them. And therefore, it was easy for them to disobey God. May God help us. To be obedient, recognizing who is king in our lives. The third thing about Abraham's faith that he needed to have in God, he believed in God's holiness. Perhaps one of the most important aspects of this call of Abraham to leave Ur of the Chaldeans, although it's not explicitly stated, but it's very clear and you can see it implicitly, is that God is calling him to change gods. 
Ur offered Abraham security and convenience. It's convenient to be among your tribe and kindred and be in the house of your father in the land that you were born. There's a sense of security, right? And, and convenience. But the problem was that land was tainted also with the worship of the moon god. And it came with it. You're going to stay there. You're going to worship this god. This is the god that you identify with. You're expected to worship. You know? You're expected to worship this god. This is the kind of... There is societies like that. Here in the States, that's kind of foreign to us. But in countries in the Middle East, you're expected, born into a religion, you're expected to worship. And if you leave that religion, shedding your blood is justified. You worship in this land, you're born into this religion, you worship in this religion. You don't have the right to leave it. And Abraham was kind of in that dilemma. You're going to stay in Ur, you're going to worship the God that the Ureans and the Chaldeans are worshipping. And so, by leaving Ur of the Chaldeans, Abraham had to have faith in this new God that appeared to him. That this is the true and living God. The holy God. The one that I deserves my worship. And the only way for me to worship him is to leave my land and my country. You can't worship God and be tainted with the sin of that land. And such is the call of God to us. We as believers, we are called to come out of the world. Not physically, but spiritually and morally and psychologically. We are in this world, but we are not of this world anymore. Right? In 2 Corinthians 6-7, Therefore go out from their midst, and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you. Hebrews 13-13, 13, 13, Therefore let us go outside the camp, and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. That city is the same city that Abraham was seeking. We are to separate from the world. We are to come out of Ur of the Chaldeans. We are a new people, a holy people, following and separating toward a holy God. May the Lord help us. To do that always. Know who we are. We are now a new creation in Christ. Just like Abraham became a new creation. As he left his country. He had completely a new identity. With the holy God of heaven. The fourth thing about his faith. And it's kind of related to that third point of God's holiness. Is that he had to have faith. In the sufficiency of God. I'm going to leave everything behind. Go from your kindred, from your country, from your father's house. I'm going to leave 
everything behind. Why? Because this God who appeared to me and I had to see, I saw his glory, is more glorious, more magnificent, more beautiful, more real, more worthy, more satisfying than anything I have ever had. And I'm going to leave everything for him. He is worth everything. That's why Abraham left. By leaving, he demonstrated his faith that this God is sufficient for me. Notice the word, go and I will. The word, the phrase, I will, is repeated five times in, this, in these two verses. Go and I will. I will make you a great nation. I will give you a great name. I will bless you. I will protect you. I will make you a blessing to them. I, God, I'm going to become everything for you. I will be enough for you. I will be with you. And Abraham believed that. God is sufficient for him. How many people from our brethren around the world have had to make that difficult decision? When they came to Christ, they were denied by their families. They were denied by their societies. Some have been imprisoned. Some have been killed. Some have been persecuted. There is many people who pay such a price to follow Christ. What makes them do that? They see in Christ all that they have. He is enough and he is worth it. Paul said in Philippians 3.8, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. That was the song of Paul. That was the song of Abraham. And that is the song of many of us. Hopefully, I pray that we would all come to realize that there is nothing worth losing Christ for in this world. He is truly the fountain of living life. He is the fountain of living water. He is truly the bread that when we eat from and drink from we will thirst no more again. So that's the call from what? He was called from Ur of the Chaldeans. He had to believe, to be able to make that decision and leave, he had to have faith in the trustworthiness of God, the sovereignty of God, the holiness of God, and the sufficiency of God for him. But God didn't call him to nothing. It's never like that. When God calls us, he calls us to much better blessing than we can ever imagine. So let's look at what, is he, what did he call him to in verses 2 and 3. Listen to what he says to him. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse and you will and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Let's take them one by one quickly. I will make you a great nation. Um, 
they did become a great nation. Now, I'm going to make a, an argument here. Even though the descendants of Abraham became many, they did become like the sand of the sea and the stars of the sky. And they did eventually become a nation. My argument is, the greatness of the nation of Israel wasn't that they became numerous and multitudes and grew in numbers and they became a nation. That's what God says to them in Deuteronomy 7.7. 7, he says to them, it is not because you were more in number than any other. They were weaker unless, no matter how many they became in number, they were still less than other people that the Lord set his love on you. It's not because you were more than other people that the Lord set his love on you. And chose you. For you were the fewest of all the peoples. That's not their greatness. Their greatness is not the numbers. The multitudes. That they grew and became a great nation. Their, the secret to their greatness. Was that God was there in their midst. And that they had the laws and the commandments of the Lord. That was the secret of their greatness. What made them a great nation was that God the Almighty was in their midst. And that they gave, he gave them the words of life in the law of Moses. Deuteronomy 4, 7-8. Listen to what it says. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us? See, what great nation? What, is there great nations out there? Nobody's greater than us. Why? Because God is so near to us. We are greater because He is near to us. Whenever we call up upon Him, and what, a great, what great nation is there that has statues and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Why are we great? Because we have statues and rules that are so righteous, coming from the mouth of a righteous God. And that is what makes us a great nation. Israel became great. I will make you a great nation because your descendants will become the nation in whose midst I will dwell. And that's what the tabernacle was all about. And then the temple was all about. The presence of God in their midst. If you take it by that measure, the nation of Israel today is not a great nation. This is a nation today that has rejected its Messiah and crucified him. Studies show consistently that the vast majority of Israelis today living in Israel are atheists. It's, not, it's a secular nation. And therefore it has lost the secret of its greatness. They are not following the God of Moses. If you were the children of Abraham, you would believe in me. But you're not the children of Abraham. Your father is the devil, our Lord said to them. Behold, your house will be left desolate. The rest of it I'll leave to whether God is going to deal with Israel in the future or not. I'll leave that for Brother Eli to deal with. I'm not going to touch that hot potato. <laughs>
Um, the next promise, I will bless you. The word bless, and this is, this is a beautiful, I was truly edified when I, 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 heard, you know, I read about this, and it's, it's a beautiful thought that I hope uh, you would come to, to enjoy as I did when I studied it. Um, the word bless, I will bless you. And it's really, when you think about it, God's call and promises to Abraham are, are promises of blessing. The word bless in these two verses, again, is repeated five times. So I will bless, both repeated five times in these two verses. It's, so the promise to Abraham is a promise of blessing. Now Tim Keller says that the word blessing in Hebrew carries more depth and meaning than it does for us in English. He says that the word bless means deep fulfillment. Deep fulfillment. Uh, Longman in his commentary says the following. He says, being blessed is to have a harmonious, vibrant relationship with God, which led to material and emotional wholeness. Adam and Eve were created in a blessed condition. They had a harmonious relationship with God, and as a consequence, with each other. Life in the garden defines what blessing looks like, and it has a spiritual, emotional, psychological, as well as material aspects to it. So that state of blessedness is the state where we are in harmony with God. We have a vibrant relationship with God. And when we have that relationship with God in harmonious relationship, then our relationships with each other are harmonious. That's what Adam and Eve's relationship before the fall was with each other. And it follows that everything else, we become whole. We are blessed. We are deeply, deeply fulfilled from that relationship with God. Keller uses that thought, and he says that he uses the, the story of Jacob uh, when he wrestled with the angel of God. If you remember that story where all night long Jacob and the, the angel are wrestling with each other. And eventually Jacob says to the angel, he says, I will not leave you until you bless me. Right? Until you bless me. And he says he blessed him. When he left him, he says that Jacob realized, he said to himself, I have seen God face to face. I've seen God face to face. And so Keller says, we try to find fulfillment in work, in spouses, in children, in building skyscrapers, when we don't realize that the only true fulfillment is in the face of God. Amen. You want fulfillment, you want blessing. The blessing that Abraham is being promised here is not just material blessing. God, Abraham didn't even eventually care about that. The fact that he lived in tents, as the author of Hebrews points to us, when he could have built castles and cities for himself, tells us that Abraham didn't ultimately draw his fulfillment from the wealth that God blessed him with. Abraham's blessing and fulfillment came from having that relationship from the face of God himself. 
He was a friend with God and that was enough for him. And that is the blessing that God is promising him here. I will bless you. And then he goes on, he says, I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Um, the reason God is choosing Abraham and promising him blessing and a great name is so that he would be a blessing to others. I will bless you so you will be a blessing to others. And in his immediate life, Abraham became a blessing to many people. He became a blessing to Lot, he became a blessing to Sarah, he became a blessing to Isaac. Even the, the foreign tribes that he was living amongst. If you remember that story when he asked to buy the tomb for his wife Sarah. You remember what they say, the Hittites say to him? He says that the Hittite answered Abraham, here, here my Lord, you are a prince from God among us. In the midst of that land, he became, he was recognized like a prince from God to them. So he became a blessing to them. And we, who are saved by the blood of Christ, are meant to live our lives in a way that we would be a blessing to others. And the greatest blessing we can bring to anyone is to bring the news of the Gospels to their lives. There is no more loving thing to do to a man or a woman than to tell them about the good news of what Jesus did for them on the cross. Then he goes on, he says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. Again, he's promising him uh, protection. You, Abraham, will become so identified with me that he who curses you is as if he's cursing me. And he who blesses you is as if he blesses me. And those who bless me will be blessed. And those who curse me will be cursed. And you, because you are mine, it will be such to those who curse you and bless you. So these are the promises. But there's one final promise. Is a call for what? The last promise at the end of verse 3. There is a bigger purpose which will bring us to that plan of God that I spoke about in the beginning. He says to him, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That is the ultimate purpose that I'm calling you for Abraham. God called Abraham for the ultimate purpose that through Abraham God would bless the families of the earth rather than curse and judge them. In Ezekiel 33:11, God says the following to sinners. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die? That's the posture of God toward mankind. God doesn't want the death of the sinner. It doesn't please him. God wants to bless the sinner. God wants to save the sinner. 
God calls the sinner unto himself. And so God from 4,000 years ago called this man Abraham and prepared through him a seed that will come. His offspring, Christ Jesus, who in the fullness of time would come and pay the price of your sin and my sin if we would repent and trust in his salvation. That is what God is calling him to ultimately. He called him from, he called him to promises, yes, but ultimately God called Abraham to accomplish that big purpose that through him, through his offspring, God would accomplish his redemptive work in his son. In your offspring shall all the nations will be blessed. Uh, Paul uses the same, the same promise about the blessing to the families of the earth, and he applies it to the Gentiles. In Galatians 3.8, he says, And the scripture foreseeing that God would just, uh, justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you all the nations will be blessed. So why did God call Abraham? So that through Abraham's offspring, the Lord Jesus would come and all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him. The blessing of Abraham is your blessing and my blessing. If you are in Christ, rejoice in the blessings of Abraham. If you are still in your sin, wandering away thinking that you can be satisfied with the things of the world, living in Ur of the Chaldeans, this morning I call you to come, to leave that world behind. Listen to the call of the God of Abraham. He's calling you unto his blessing, unto himself, unto that state of deep fulfillment that you will never ever find anywhere else. But you will find it in Christ if you accept him as your Lord and as your Savior. Amen. We're going to take a few moments in prayer. We're going to bow our heads. I'm going to ask uh, Brother uh, Dave to lead us in a prayer of confession and reflection on the sermon. And after that, we're going to take three moments, three minutes of silent prayer reflecting on what we heard.